Welcome to Daily Airs. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. There's something new on Airs LA every day. I'm your host, Annette Bro, and every Monday, I review varying events that happen during This Week in History, brought to you from A&E Networks, The History Channel, and History.com. December 11. On this date in history, in the year 1872, Buffalo Bill Cody makes his first stage appearance. Already appearing as a well-known figure of the Wild West in popular dime novels, Buffalo Bill Cody makes his first stage appearance on this day in a Chicago-based production of The Scouts of the Prairie. Unlike many of his imitators in Wild West shows and movies, William Frederick Cody actually played an important role in the Western settlement that he later romanticized and celebrated. Born in Iowa in 1846, Cody joined the Western Messenger Service of Majors and Russell as a writer while still in his teens. He later claimed to have worked for the famous Pony Express, during which time he allegedly completed the third longest emergency ride in the brief history of that company. During the Civil War, Cody joined forces with a variety of irregular militia groups supporting the North. In 1864, he enlisted in the Union Army as a private and served as a cavalry teamster in 1865. Cody began to earn his famous nickname in 1867 when he signed on to provide buffalo meat for the workers of the Eastern Division of the Union Pacific Railroad Construction Project. His reputation for skilled marksmanship and experience as a rapid delivery messenger attracted the attention of U.S. Army Lieutenant General Philip Sheridan, who gave Cody an unusual four-year position as a scout, a testament to Cody's extraordinary frontier skills. Cody's work as a scout in the Western Indian Wars laid the foundation for his later fame. From 1868 to 1872, he fought in 16 battles with Indians, participated in a celebrated victory over the Cheyenne in 1869, One impressed general praised Cody's extraordinarily good services as trailer and fighter, his marksmanship being very conspicuous. Later, Cody again gained national attention by serving as a hunting guide for famous Europeans and Americans eager to experience a bit of the Wild West before it disappeared. As luck would have it, one of Cody's customers was Edward Judson, a successful writer who penned popular dime novels under the name Ned Buntline. Impressed by his young guide's calm competence and stories of dramatic fights with Indians, Buntline made Cody the hero of a highly imaginative Wild West novel published in 1869. When a stage version of the novel debuted in Chicago as The Scouts of the Prairie, Buntline convinced Cody to abandon his real-life Western adventures to play a highly exaggerated version of himself in the play. Once he had a taste of the performing life, Cody never looked back, though he continued to spend time scouting or guiding hunting trips in the West. 
Cody remained on the Chicago stage for the next 11 years. Buffalo Bill Cody was the hero of more than 1,700 variant issues of dime novels, and his star shone even more brightly when his world-famous Buffalo Bill's Wild West show debuted in 1883. The show was still touring when Buffalo Bill Cody died in 1917. December 12. On this date in history, in the year 1913, the stolen Mona Lisa is recovered in Florence. Two years after, it was stolen from the Louvre Museum in Paris. Leonardo da Vinci's masterpiece, the Mona Lisa, is recovered inside Italian waiter Vincenzo's Perugia's hotel room in Florence. Perugia had previously worked at the Louvre and had participated in the heist with a group of accomplices dressed as Louvre janitors on the morning of August 21, 1911. Leonardo da Vinci, one of the great Italian Renaissance painters, completed the Mona Lisa, a portrait of the wife of wealthy Florentine citizen Francesco del Gioconda, in 1504. The painting, also known as La Gioconda, depicts the figure of a woman with an enigmatic facial expression that is both aloof and alluring, seated before a visionary landscape. After the recovery of the Mona Lisa, Perugia was convicted in Italy of the robbery and spent just 14 months in jail. The Mona Lisa was eventually returned to the Louvre, where it remains today, exhibited behind bulletproof glass. It is arguably the most famous painting in the world and is seen by millions of visitors every year. December 13 on this date in history, in the year 2000, the Texas 7 prison break. On December 13, 2000, seven convicts break out of a maximum security prison in South Texas, setting off a massive six-week manhunt. The escapees, dubbed the Texas 7 by the media, overpowered civilian employees and prison guards in the maintenance shop where they worked and stole clothing, guns, and a vehicle. The men left a note saying, you haven't heard the last of us yet. Soon after escaping from the Connolly Unit lockup in Kennedy, Texas, the fugitives picked up another getaway vehicle, allegedly provided by the father of one of the men, and robbed a Radio Shack store in Pierland, Texas, making off with cash and police scanners. On Christmas Eve, the escapees, who had been convicted for a long list of violent crimes, including murder, rape, and robbery, struck a sporting goods store in Irving, Texas, where they stole a large amount of cash and weapons. In the process, the men killed police officer Aubrey Hawkins, shooting him multiple times with multiple weapons and running him over. The Texas Seven then fled to Colorado, where they purchased a motorhome told people they were Christian missionaries, and spent a month at a trailer park near Woodland Park, Colorado. On January 22, 2001, a tip from someone who had seen the Texas 7 profiled on the TV program America's Most Wanted led police to the fugitives. Ringleader George Rivas was captured along with three of the other men. A fifth fugitive committed suicide after being surrounded by police. Two days later, law enforcement officials closed in on the two remaining escapees at a hotel in Colorado Springs. 
A standoff ensued, during which the fugitives conducted phone interviews with a TV news station and claimed their escape was a protest against Texas's criminal justice system. The men then surrendered to authorities. In February 2001, the six surviving members of the Texas Seven were indicted on capital murder charges and the death of Officer Hawkins. Each man was later convicted and sentenced to death. Several were later executed. December 14. On this date in history, in the year 1900, the birth of the quantum theory. German physicist Max Planck publishes his groundbreaking study of the effect of radiation on a black body substance, and the quantum theory of modern physics is born. Through physical experiments, Planck demonstrated that energy, in certain situations, can exhibit characteristics of physical matter. According to theories of classical physics, energy is solely a continuous wave-like phenomenon, independent of the characteristics of physical matter. Planck's theory held that radiant energy is made up of particle-like components known as quanta. The theory helped to resolve previously unexplained natural phenomenon, such as the behavior of heat and solids and the nature of light absorption on an atomic level. In 1918, Planck was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics for his work on blackberry radiation. Other scientists, such as Albert Einstein, Niels Bohr, Louis de Broglie, Erwin Schrödinger, and Paul M. Dirac advanced Planck's theory and made possible the development of quantum mechanics, a mathematical application of the quantum theory that maintains that energy is both matter and a wave, depending on certain variables. Quantum mechanics thus takes a probabilistic view of nature, sharply contrasting with classical mechanics, in which all precise properties of objects are, in principle, calculable. Today, the combination of quantum mechanics with Einstein's theory of relativity is the basis of modern physics. December 15. On this date in history, in the year 1944, legendary band leader Glenn Miller disappears over the English Channel. General James Doolittle of the United States Army Air Forces hero of the daring Doolittle Raid on mainland Japan and later the unified commander of Allied Air Forces in Europe in World War II, offered the following high praise to one of his staff officers in 1944. Next to a letter from home, Captain Miller, your organization is the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. The Captain Miller in question was the trombonist and band leader Glenn Miller the biggest star on the American pop music scene in the years immediately preceding World War II, and a man who set aside his brilliant career right at its peak in 1942 to serve his country as leader of the USAAF dance band. It was in that capacity that Captain Glenn Miller boarded a single-engine aircraft at an airfield outside of London on December 15, 1944. An aircraft that would go missing over the English Channel en route to France for a congratulatory performance for American troops that had recently helped to liberate Paris. It would be difficult to overstate the magnitude of Glenn Miller's success in the years immediately preceding America's entry into World War II, though he was a relatively unspectacular instrumentalist himself. 
He played the trombone in various prominent orchestras, but never distinguished himself as a performer. Miller, the band leader, came to dominate the latter portion of the swing era on the strength of his disciplined arrangements and an innovation in orchestration that put the high-pitched clarinet on the melody line doubled by the saxophone section an octave below. This trademark sound helped Glenn Miller Orchestra earn an unprecedented string of popular hits from 1939 to 1942, including the iconic versions of numbers like in the Mood in 1939, Tuxedo Junction in 1939, Chattanooga Choo Choo in 1941, as well as Miller's self-pin signature tune, Moonlight Serenade in 1939. The Glenn Miller Orchestra played its last ever concert under Miller's direction on September 27, 1942, in Passaic, New Jersey, and shortly thereafter, Miller entered the Army. After nearly two years spent stateside broadcasting a weekly radio program called I Sustain the Wings Out of New York City, Miller formed a new 50-piece USAAF dance band and departed for England in the summer of 1944, giving hundreds of performances to Allied troops over the next six months before embarking on his fateful trip to France on this day in 1944. The wreckage of Miller's plane was never found. His official military status remains missing in action. December 16. On this date in history, in the year 1773, the Boston Tea Party. In Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists, disguised as Mohawk Indians, board three British tea ships and dump 342 chests of tea into the harbor. The Midnight Raid, popularly known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the British Parliament's Tea Act of 1773, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. The low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tea smuggled into America by Dutch traders and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation tyranny. When three tea ships, the Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver, arrived in Boston Harbor, the colonists demand that the tea be returned to England. After Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson refused, Patriot leader Samuel Adams organized the Tea Party with about 60 members of the Sons of Liberty, his underground resistance group. The British tea dumped in Boston Harbor on the night of December 16 was valued at some $18,000. Parliament, outraged by the blatant destruction of British property, enacted the Coercive Acts, also known as the Intolerable Acts, in 1774. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, established formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecutions in America, and required colonists to quarter British troops. The colonists subsequently called the First Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance to the British. December 17. On this date in history, in the year 1979, stuntman Stan Barrett breaks the sound barrier. Hollywood stuntman Stan Barrett 
blasts across a dry lake bed at California's Edwards Air Force Base in a rocket and missile-powered car, becoming the first man to travel faster than the speed of sound on land. He did not set an official record, however. The radar scanner was acting up, and so Barrett's top speed, 739.666 miles per hour, by the most reliable measure, was only an estimate. Although he only drove his rocket car across the lake bed once, not twice as official record guidelines require, and none of the spectators heard a sonic boom as Barrett zoomed across the course. Barrett was a 36-year-old stuntman and ex-lightweight Golden Glove champ who had been introduced to auto racing by Paul Newman in 1971. He was the actor's stunt double for the film Sometimes a Great Notion. Barrett's car, the $800,000 Budweiser Rocket, was owned by the movie director Hal Needham, a former racer himself, who had broken a nine-year-old world land speed record on the Bonneville Salt Flats the previous September. The car had a 48,000-horsepower rocket engine and, to give it a little extra kick, a 12,000-horsepower Sidewinder missile. December 17 was a dry day with temperatures hovering around 20 degrees Fahrenheit. In order to break the sound barrier under those conditions, Barrett had to go faster than 731.9 miles per hour. He started the rocket engine and stepped on the gas. Then, after counting to 12, he pushed a button on his steering wheel to fire the sidewinder so he could go even faster. After he zoomed past a battery of timing devices, Barrett deployed a parachute to help him slow down. In all, it took only a handful of seconds for Barrett to blast across the five-and-three-quarter-mile lake bed. Unfortunately, the radar speedometers on the ground malfunctioned. Instead of the rocket speed, they measured the speed of a passing truck at 38 miles per hour. The final speed estimate came from data by the Air Force, whose scanners seemed to indicate that the rocket had probably exceeded the speed of sound. Controversy over how fast Barrett actually went persists to this day. It took until October 1997 for another driver, a British car called the Thrust SSC, to officially break the Mach 1 sound barrier. And that wraps up our This Week in History podcast for December 11 through December 17. If you'd like to learn more about Airs LA, including streaming audio, podcasts, and more, we invite you to connect or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook social media platforms. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind and print-impaired audience. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Annette Rowe, and I'll return next week to bring you more events that happen during Next Week in History. Until then, thanks for listening.